Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast, episode number 161. To close the year out, we've got Nick Keegan, the founder and CEO of Mail Metrics. Nick, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks, Ryan. Delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to have you, man. Typical fashion of the show, Nick, if you've listened to it before, first couple of minutes getting to know you, and then we jump into questions around lessons learned and previous roles, etc., etc. No different with you. From my research, I know you went to Belvedere College. I'm going to assume you grew up in Dublin based off that and the accent. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but what was life like growing up back in the day? Any favourite stand-up memories? Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in the north side of Dublin, <clears throat> as you rightfully point out. Initially went to Belvedere College for the first three years. Wasn't really my cup of tea, if I'm honest with you. Um, so left Belvedere after third year, I went to my local local school. Uh, purely just because um, I suppose all my mates were in the local school, you know, and I just sort of had a desire to go there. So I went to went to my local school, Art School Reach from Gifford Avenue. Um and then from there, I went on to the Institute of Education on Eastern Street. So I did the rounds. Um, didn't really get on great in school. wasn't really my cup of tea, you know. Uh, just did, Not that I didn't have the aptitude, just didn't really have uh, the interest, if I'm honest. And so um, other than that, had a good upbringing, great family life. Grew up with my mom and dad, brother and sister, uh, Dublin 9. Nothing really nothing really uh, stands out, you know. Um, from there then, would have went on to college. Again, didn't have much of a grow for college, but I, I, I had a, a desire to join the army initially. That was my plan. I was going to join the defense, permanent defense forces. And so I needed to go to college in order to do that because I wanted to do a cadetship. So I went through, the, went, through the, the, went to NCI, went to DCU and so on and so forth. And that's really it, you know. Um, that's that's kind of my, my early years. I, I do want to get into cadetship and all those other things. And there's a couple of questions around college, but yeah. did you have, not did you have, everyone has, but people can usually point to like three or four people, acquaintance, friend, family member, teacher who had an impact on them when they were younger. And I say younger, under the age of 18. Does anybody spring to mind for you? I'd say I was quite heavily influenced by by my dad, you know, by my father. Mm. So he would have been in the Defence Forces himself. I think that rubbed on, off on me fairly early. That's probably where I was exposed to that. Not that it was ever encouraged or anything like that, but I just I was exposed to it and it was something that I formed an interest in. Similarly, I think he was very successful in his own right in business, uh, has built, scaled, sold a few businesses in his time and done very well out of it. I suppose that would have rubbed off me as well. So I'd say if there was any kind of early influence particularly on my career and the direction that that took i'd say it would be it'd be my dad yeah shout out to your dad then what's his name paul keegan shout out to paul um you got a level eight in hr i'm looking at my screen by the way no you got a uh, level eight in hr management and then you went on to do a master's in international security and conflict studies two-part question here why did you pick hr management and then help me connect the dots on the topic for your master's yeah, it was a kind of a thing where I um, was doing my CAO and I just had no interest in going to college. It was like box ticking exercise. I just needed a degree. So I was going through the list and I was saying, well, what will I pick this, pick that. And I must have picked all kinds of different 
HR, business things. To be honest with you, I didn't even know what HR was, right? And I was just picking, picking off the list and uh, hated every minute of that as well. It just wasn't for me, just not at all. Then the, like as the intention was to try to get a, a degree and move into the defense forces, um, I went on to do the masters and I was trying to find something that might improve my chances of, of, of getting that role, you know? And so international security and conflict studies seemed to tick the box. And so that's, so I picked that, you know, it's a bit of an odd one now. There's not much use for it now, but uh, that's, that's the rationale behind it, you know? Interesting. We're talking about the army, uh, rewinding the clock to 2006, if I'm correct. You spent over 10 years, as you've already alluded to, in the defense forces. Uh, your LinkedIn, I don't know if it's up to date or not, but it said that you had worked your way up to second lieutenant. Um, so question here is what did those 10 years teach you um, there's there's many documentaries and films made about you know the systems systems and processes from yeah. armies all across the world so there had to be some lessons in those 10 years yeah so just just to confirm so when i was applying for the when i was in college and i was applying for the permanent defense force i joined the reserve defense force okay so that was in a part-time capacity and uh i did that for 11 years retired as a second lieutenant um in the transport and logistics unit and I, f- I feel like that allowed me to scratch that itch actually, you know, so I was glad I was able to do it, it through the Reserve Defence Force. And I think that probably was the right decision actually, because I think long-term, I probably wouldn't have been happy in that role as a, as a, as a, as a, as a, like a full-time career. But she's um, had a great time, a great, great bunch of people there and just learned a huge amount, particularly uh, in NCO training and officer training just in order to be able to like, dissect the situation, make a plan, uh, look at things critically. And after, after the fact, look at something critically and be able to work with your team to see what went right, what went wrong, and hold each other accountable to that in a very non-judgmental way. Um, built a lot of self-confidence, joined as a young lad, like 17, um, walking into the barracks on the first day can be quite a daunting experience. But uh, builds a lot of character, builds a lot of self-confidence. And I think um, you probably don't realise it day-to-day, but it, I think it really stands to me, you know. Mm, for sure. And then after, or at some stage, maybe throughout the Army, 2013, you founded your first company, Green Letterbox. Um, and in, in those three years, you, you managed to scale it, open an additional office. Um, question to this one is, there's many blind spots in, business, in businesses um, that all titles suffer from focusing on CEO and founder. It could be, you know, not creating a culture of accountability in the uh, company or not uh, having a process for onboarding where you've hired the right people or not building the bench so that if someone leaves, you don't have a replacement for them. When you look back at those three years founding Green Letterbox, what are some of the skills and behaviors you learned or perhaps improved that you managed to carry with you to your current company? Yeah, so Green Letterbox and Mailmetrics are the same company. We rebranded after three years, right? Got you. First idea just failed, totally flopped. And that's that will come to my blind spot. So when we had this idea, like it was my first time ever starting a business. I was 24 and uh, had this idea for Green Letterbox, which was a, a consumer app that you could download on your phone. And all of your bills and statements and all your correspondence from all your different service providers would come to one secure app. So instead of having to go to your Vodafone to get your Vodafone bill and your Sky to get your Sky bill and so on, you'd have one app on your phone. And we thought this was the greatest idea ever. And so we kept it top secret and we went off, raised money, like mm. raised three quarters of a million quid, built the app, built out a team um, and worked on that for a couple of years without 
ever really speaking to a customer, right? And so we then launched it to this great fanfare, brought it in front of our, what we thought was our target market. And it just did not resonate at all. They had various reasons why they didn't like the idea. The business model was totally flawed, right? And so uh, we were quite surprised. We, that we just thought we were going to get traction straight away. And it was a really difficult model as well because it was a two-sided marketplace where you're trying to bring together uh, companies who are sending documents. You're trying to sign up users to receive those bills and pay their bills through the app and so on. And um, it's also like a chicken and an egg. All of the senders want to know how many users have you got. All the users want to know before I sign up, like what, which of my service providers can I can I use through the app? So what that really taught us was validate, validate, validate. If you have any idea, any assumption, validate it before you write any code. And I think the way we've built our business now, and after we like we, we discovered pretty quickly um, that that idea was flawed, mm. that we needed to go back to the drawing board. And thankfully, we'd raised enough money at the start that we could pivot we floundered around for about a year until we stumbled onto something else which i'll come to come to later but it taught us to validate and so now if we ever have an idea for a product or if we have ever have an idea for a new business initiative we go and speak to people first which sounds really obvious right but it's you don't know what you don't know and almost exclusively now we never build anything unless we have a paying customer who's either funding the development of it or they're waiting at the end of it uh, ready to use it you know mm. so we won't build something on a whim and it's enabled us to really figure out how to tune into what our customers want what they need really listen to them refine that and build a product that really resonates with them and then that will scale across you know their counterparts and other people in their industry and that's essentially how we've built the business today it's, uh, it's a lot less risky than, than building it and not talking to anybody about it I can tell you that that's good to hear you you said uh, green letterbox kind of was the initial mail metrics. Can you tell anyone who doesn't know what mail metrics is what what exactly it is? Absolutely. So in the green letterbox days, because we were going out trying to find companies that send large volumes of bills and letters to their customers, we managed to get an audience with most of the utilities providers, telecoms, insurance companies, banks, and so on. Um, and as it turns out, we, we spotted a trend that most of the financial services companies in particular, they said, look, you're slightly off in your idea, but we do have a problem with our documentation. We want to go digital. We have all this paper flying around the place that we want to sort. And so we kind of dug into that a bit and we found out what the problem was. And we developed mail metrics to, to fix that. So essentially, we work with financial services companies primarily. And we help them to outsource and then to digitally transform their customer communications. So if you think of yourself as a, a customer of an insurance company, a lot of the communication that you get from your insurance company is through the post. You'll get a letter notifying you that your insurance is due to renew. You'll get your certain disc through the post. And a lot of that stuff is printed, enveloped, and posted out from a, a big internal mailroom that they'll have in their organization. Anytime if you respond by post, that's been scanned in their mailroom. They have this big infrastructure. Now, they're not experts in document handling. And so they outsource that to us in the first phase, where we have a network of secure outsourcing facilities across the UK and Ireland, where we provide letter printing and document scanning as an outsourced service. Mm. So generally speaking, if you get a letter from your bank or insurance company, uh, there's a pretty good chance that it's actually come through Mailmetrics. 
Now, critically, where we go a step further than most of the companies in our industry is phase two, which would be the, the digital transformation piece, where instead of printing and posting a letter, we use our technology to send that document securely through the internet. So whether that's a secure email or pushing it to an online portal, um, we help them to move their communications to digital channels. Generally speaking, we'll help them to start from 100% print and post, we'll get them to 70% digital, 30% print and post in around a 12 month period. Jesus. And then there's a, there's a variety of different products as well that sit around that, um, you know, document archival, um, inbound document workflow, so on, so on, so on. But it's, we've developed a whole suite of products now to enable financial services companies and regulated entities to manage their customer documentation and their customer communications. The fact that you can help digitize brands, and I've seen some of the names of brands that you work with uh, in that short period of time, considering the size of those companies, is remarkable. Um, I'll leave links to both your company website and your LinkedIn page, and I'll reference this again before we end in the comment field, wherever you're listening or watching to this. But I do have to give congrats, because this is not your first year, but your second year to make the Deloitte Fast 50 Awards. You came in 14th place this year, um, and that's a list of Ireland's 50 fastest growing tech companies. Um, so tell me this, how do you plan on continuing to go to company from 2022, let's say look at the next 18 months. And before yeah. you answer that, um, most of the guests that answer this question usually touch on the likes of, you know, partnerships, uh, referrals, entering new markets, doubling their size of their sales teams. But I noticed that you recently acquired two companies uh, about four months ago, you put up a post on LinkedIn. So is there more of that or is there more of the previous things I've just said? Yeah, absolutely. So th this is the second year in the past 50 last year became 15th. We nudged it up a little bit, nice. which, which is good. As long as you're, as long as you're, you're, you're going up the rank and that's, that's good news. Um, yeah. And like we've been growing pretty consistently, right. At 40% year over year organically. Wow. And so that's just true new business. And, you know, there's a lot of demand out there for the product that we're selling. So that's, that's been good. But in order for it to keep up that growth, um, that's where we started to look at acquisitions. We also wanted to get out of Ireland. We were too focused on Ireland. And that was a, a bit of, I suppose, a bit of a weakness of ours. We were too kind of insular, we were too focused on the island of Ireland. So we wanted to expand out. The natural, um, the natural first step for us was the UK. And, so it just made sense for us to make an acquisition in the UK. So what we did was we bought uh, you know, a print and mail company in Ireland. We bought one in the UK and that gives us the platform for the business services side of our business, the printing document scanning. And then the mail metrics digital platform is gonna be integrated into all those, uh, the, into the customers of those two companies. That's kind of reverse, engineer, reverse engineering it in. Um, you know, if probably 12 months ago, UK would have been 10, 15% of our business. It's probably 50% of our business now. And we see that as, as, as only increasing. We have, uh, we're really acquisitive at the moment. So we're looking to make further acquisitions. Um, we plan to make another two next year. Um, and we're already, you know, in discussions with, with, with a couple of interested parties. So we really see that model. It, like, it's worked for us in the past and we see it as a way to scale the business. We're, it's a pretty sleepy industry that we're operating in. You know, we have our own IP, we have our own technology, we're acquiring these companies, we're digitally transforming them, giving their customers access to our technology. And, uh, you know, it's just, let's say it's an easy way for us to scale. It's nothing easy about it, but it's, it's, a, it's a nice way for us to scale, let's say. Mm. 
amazing. What you can for what you can say publicly, what's the biggest challenge you're facing over the next 12 months? Or one perhaps that you faced over the last 12 months that you can discuss? Yeah, so look, there's been loads of challenges over the last few months. COVID, inflation, you name it. Even scaling the business is a challenge. You know, it's, it, it, puts, it puts all functions under pressure. But I think for a long time, we've been very focused. We, we were very much in the trenches. Um, we were just trying to find product market fit, find who our target customer was and just sell something, you know, pay the bills. But now that we got to this point where we're, the company is scaling and we're really starting to take off, I suppose we're a little bit behind the curve um, on just growing up as a company. So we're going through an exercise now. We're just trying to define what is our vision as a business? You know, what are the various functions in our business? Who are the people? What is our organizational structure? Who's accountable for what? And just putting all these basic things in place that we probably should have had six or seven years mm. ago, but it just wasn't an issue at the time. When you go from having 30 people to 100 people in the space of four months, that was a real shocker for us, you know, and it really highlights those weaknesses. So it's that's been tough. That's been a challenge. But we that's the main focus for the management team at the moment, just trying to put the structure in place so that we can we can scale without everything keeling over, basically, you know, mm, that's some jump 30 to 100 in, in four months. Well, um, they say that when I say they, there's a couple of people that have said that who've got experience of scaling companies, you know, to a thousand to two thousand people plus they say the lines of communication begin to break hmm. at employee number 150 so 2022 could be an interesting year for you oh look 100 there was a time where the founding team could be involved in all key decisions dealing with all key clients and you know we built our business because of that because it gave a really personal service and we were really heavily involved but it's just not practical anymore so it's trying to define the company culture and making sure that we have the right people in the right seats and that we're trying to um, ensure that, that culture that we built in the early days is disseminated and, and it's continued on, particularly when we're making acquisitions and you're trying to ensure that the companies that you're acquiring have a similar culture or a compatible culture to the one that we've, we've created here at Mailmetrics. Mm. Have you got a personal definition of what success means to you? personal definition of what success means to me like personally i just like to be challenged i'm very ambitious a competitive person i like to achieve things I like to set myself difficult objectives and, and achieve them and i think if i'm satisfied in my work if i'm setting myself um you know if i'm working on difficult things challenging things and if i'm happy doing that that's success for me at the end of the day nice two final questions for you nick the second last one is is there a with the explosion of a lot of things gone virtual, um, tools like Slack, Zoom, perhaps apps, internal tools you might have built, is there a tool that you cannot live without? Well, particularly during the last 12 months, it's been, been Google Meet and video video calls. Mm. You know, we have teams now in Dublin, Bangor, Edinburgh, Warsaw, so across four locations, and that alone causes problems. And then with all the people working from home, um, you know, it just puts extra strain and, and challenges. So we found video calls and just Google Meet as a tool to be to be invaluable. Uh, Slack as well has become a big part of our business, particularly with more people on the team trying to cut down on email. Slack, Google Meet, all the usual ones. I, I, I'd argue there. That's been really really useful. It's been a big success since introducing that. You know. Final question for you, and I've asked all my guests this 
um, if you were in charge of adding a mandatory subject to the secondary school curriculum that's not currently on it, what would you add and why? It's an easy one. Personal finance. I think the amount, like myself included, you come out of school and you don't learn about the simple things of what is an interest rate, how to apply for a mortgage. Now, all of these basic things that you need to know to get through life. Um, I think we could focus a lot more on us, how to invest your money, you know, what the stock market is, how to engage with the stock market, and so on, so on, so on. I think, uh, you know, it puts people at a major disadvantage when they don't know these basic things. And I think that we could benefit as a society by teaching our children and skill more about how to be more self-sufficient and uh, manage their money better. Nick Keegan, the founder and CEO of Mailmetrics, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I wish you continued success next year. And I'll leave links to both your LinkedIn page and your company page in the comment field below. Thanks, Ryan. Really appreciate it. It was great talking to you. And thanks for having me on.